And as we, together in this space, open up God's word this morning, we're going to be in a new uh, sermon series. We're going to launch a sermon series called, um, you know, I Have a Question. And so in getting ready for this this week, um, I had a question. A, a dear friend of mine there in Lubbock, uh, I've just moved to Baton Rouge, so I'm brand new to Baton Rouge. Uh, he said, man, when you go to Baton Rouge, when you go to Louisiana, he's like, you must have a beignet. And so I was like, okay. And then we came in March, and I didn't have a beignet. Then we came in May, and I didn't have a beignet. And now I'm here, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I still haven't had a beignet. So I was like, I have a question. I'm like, where are the best beignets in Baton Rouge? And um, I don't know if you guys remember, if this is your first Sunday back in a while, we just finished a sermon series called Can We All Agree? And apparently we can, because every single person who said, this is where you get beignets, told me, it was like, coffee call. Is that right? Yep. Coffee call. <laughs> We were unanimous. That's the best beignets in Baton Rouge. Um, and so, uh, so it's intentional. I mean, I certainly believe that the Spirit has led us into this next series together. Um, but it's also intentional. I want us to have some time to get to know each other better. So I'm going to continue to have questions as I get used to Baton Rouge. And if you guys have a question for me, I mean, I would encourage you, uh, I mean, just stop by, write it down, give it to me, because I would love to kind of answer it in this space. I want this to be conversational as we gather together. Um, but we are. We're going to spend some time in questions. I want you to know that questions are the keys that open the door to understanding. Questions are the keys that open the door to understanding. Um, when we ask questions, it helps us better understand something outside of us. If we have the humility to ask a question, it'll help us better understand something outside of us. And I would say that if we answer a question, it helps us better understand something on the inside of us. If we take the time to make the decision and come to an answer, it helps us better understand who we are. So I think it's no surprise that Jesus would answer a question with a question, right? He did that very often. Uh, he was asked a question, and he would ask a question right back. And I think that's very kind of the good shepherd of our soul uh, to, to lead us to a better understanding of ourselves and our fit in his creation and in his kingdom. So for the next five weeks, we are. We're going to spend some time looking at five questions that Jesus asked. And as we do that, I genuinely believe we'll see some refreshing new spiritual insight as we spend time in God's Word. If you would, uh, man, join me in the Bible at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 35 through 41 this morning. Now, the story we're going to look at, it happens in three other spots in the Bible, Matthew 8 and Luke 8. And anytime you happen to like get in the Gospels in particular, where you're looking at the stories in the life of Jesus, it's great to find out if there's more than one account of the story that you're looking at, because it's just fun to look at all of them. Now, this morning, as we study, we're going to stay in Mark chapter 4. Um, but with that in mind, here is the basic arc of the whole story. And these elements are in every uh, render, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke. All right? Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. Okay? And then a violent storm hits and the waves begin to fill up the boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat. 
And one thing that's interesting about that is um, in reading about that this week, for the first time, I heard that it was likely because of exhaustion. I don't know about you guys in your study before, but, but it was refreshing to me to think about, you know, his expenditure of himself and ministering and being present and just being Jesus among people that after a day of that, he was completely exhausted. So Jesus is, is, is asleep. As the storm hits, the disciples wake him up and they say, in some form or fashion, we are perishing. Uh, do you care that we are not perishing? But all three accounts, they say we are perishing. In all three accounts, Jesus stands up and says, peace be still, and it becomes perfectly calm. And then Jesus, after the fact, addresses the disciples about their fear and their faith. And then to end the story, in all three accounts, the disciples ask, who is this man that the winds and the waves obey him? So uh, as we begin this morning, we're going to begin again, Mark uh, chapter 4, this is 35 through 38. Where it says, on that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, I don't know how you like picture this story in your head. Uh, if you're like me, it's a familiar story, potentially one you've heard over and over and over again. But even if this is the very first time you've ever heard this story, if you are visual at all, your brain begins to paint a picture of what's happening. So for me, when I was young, I pictured like a pirate ship boat, right? This thing was massive, right? Cannons, sails, the whole bit. And so when they go to like, you know, wake Jesus up, there's this long walk across the deck and then they're like begging on the door. He's in the captain's chambers on his cushion. And, and this, like, that's just the way it is in my head. This is a big boat, when the reality of it is, it was likely a boat that two or three guys could handle and about 12 to 15 guys could fit in. So here's one artist's rendering of the boat. And man, it's much smaller, right? If, if this was the boat that you were in, in the midst of a storm, that would be particularly, incredibly scary. But I do like how they're able to show uh, the chaos and, and, and the frightening of the disciples. And at the same time, even there, Jesus is asleep, even like in his exhaustion. It's actually a great rendering of this moment. The reality is, like, we don't know exactly what the boat looked like. I mean, we can take our best educated guesses. We can use context clues uh, for that time and place. Um, but regardless of what it actually looked like, all three accounts do tell us that the disciples were potentially and literally in over their heads in this storm. They were in legitimate danger. And I found a, a helpful definition of fear. Um, I mean, as you can tell, obviously we're stepping into the question, 
you know, why are you afraid? That's the question that Jesus asks in this story. Why are you afraid? And so fear, it is a God-given emotion where our minds alert us to danger. And so like the disciples, they are in danger. But what exactly is being threatened in this moment? It's, it's their life, their actual like flesh and blood. And like, if, if we don't, if something doesn't change, it's likely we're going to die. So that was what they were afraid of in that moment. What's wonderful about fear is this. Fear provides us a window into what our hearts find truly valuable. Fear provides us a window into what our hearts find truly valuable. And I would say this. It's an opportunity for us to reconnect with our ultimate destination as well as who we are traveling with. By that I mean, even right now, these guys are super scared for their lives. But as the story progresses, they're going to be reminded that it's not just a life on earth that they're living. It's not just a journey across a lake. They are entering into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only that, the true destination is maturity and faith, complete restoration, redemption, things they don't even really know of or have a complete concept of yet, but it's the truth. It's the truth for them, and it's the truth for us. When we have a moment of fear, it allows us to reconnect with our ultimate destination and the one that we are traveling with. So I have a question for you this morning. What are you afraid of? Maybe it's nothing. Right? Maybe today you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. I asked several people this week uh, as I had the chance to talk to them, man, what are you afraid of? And had some interesting answers. I spoke to a friend of mine who lives in Georgia, and he is an only child. And so he's in his early 50s, and he said that he had begun to learn the difficulty of aging as an only child, that your support network is very small. He has friends that have siblings that are older than him, and so he can see the benefit of having people that you can grow old with and have some help and some aid. That was one. Another one, I have a dear friend who said, man, um, like, I am afraid of engaging one more, like, life-taxing, like, experience or moment uh, where I just don't have the energy to do it. So he's gone through, uh, you know, a bout of parenting a young adult kid who's in severe depression, uh, the loss of his wife. Uh, he is a pastor, and there's some things that are happening in his church that are just taxing to him. And he's like, man, if I have to like, get on another bull, that's just going to completely, I, I don't know if I've got it. Right? I asked my daughter, June, and she said she's afraid of the dark. Um, <laughs> Um, and then here, here's one that I didn't expect, but I want to close with this one. Um, one of my friends said, I'm afraid that I'm not in God's perfect will for my life. And I found, man, that was enlightening to me. That, that I think if, if we're like serious in our journey of faith, that's a common fear for those that are, that are seeking the Lord. Like, like God, am I getting this right? But may we be encouraged this morning that the most consistent commandment throughout the Bible is do not be afraid. 
most prevalent commandment throughout the Bible, do not be afraid. And then the most prevalent promise throughout the Bible is I am with you. I am with you. Look at it in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them forgotten, forgotten before God. Indeed, man, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. I, just, I hope we can see in this brief word from Jesus that God is the one who deserves our best regard and respect. Fear doesn't mean like, oh, I'm so scared of him. Fear is like, I am not going to ignore that. I'm going to regard it. I'm going to respect it. I'm going to acknowledge it. And then not only that, Jesus makes that clear. He also makes his love for us clear, our value to him clear. So do not be afraid. I am with you. Let's move on to verse 39 in our text today, where it says, and Jesus got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down, <clears throat> excuse me, and it became perfectly calm. This is, right, the cornerstone of this story. This is the highlight. This is the big moment. This is where it gets awesome. Jesus shows, walks out in the truth that he is absolutely Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is able. He is the word that was at the beginning. He is one with the God most high. His power is plentiful. He's completely able. And for, for me, when I most engage this particular story in my walk in, with the Lord, I often will get into a storm and I'll ask the Lord would speak his peace into my life. Like I will read this, I'll go, okay, Lord, like when things get rough, will you please do that? Right? I mean, who's prayed that prayer, right? When things get rough, will you please do this? Please bring peace. Please calm the storms. And I'll say this first. I think God absolutely is delighted in our invitation for him to come into our space. I mean, what father wouldn't be um, warmed in his heart when his kids invite them to come close when they're in danger or when they're in trouble? But also, as I read this, here's one thing that I haven't done a whole lot. I haven't prayed that God would put a storm in my life. Like, hey, Lord, how about you test me to my very limits today? For the next month, would you please make it horrendously awful to where I must rely on you? I, I don't pray that prayer a whole lot. But I think we would all agree that those are the moments where we actually grow. When we're pushed, when we're uncomfortable, when we're scared, 
that's when our faith and our connection begins to grow. So there's a guy named Wim Hof, and I don't know, he's called the Iceman. I would encourage you to check this guy out. Anybody know who Wim Hof is by chance? Oh, come on. So he has this breathing technique, um, and, and he's, he's done some things like we're breathing at takes some other things where like basically he can spend, he, he holds the world record for the longest time in an ice bath, like over 80 minutes in an ice bath. And so there's a TED Talk where they actually like describe all of what he has done in this like work to like gain a better connection to and control over his body. And so it's fascinating. In the TED Talk, he's there. They're like, they're actually like loading him up with ice. He's in this like clear container. And there's a person that's like a scientist that's explaining to everyone, here's what's going on. And he has been able through breathing and connection to his capillaries and his vessels to actually maintain a core temperature of like 37 degrees Celsius, right? Whatever, whatever it's supposed to be, right? But they can also like monitor his skin. So his skin temperature drops like ridiculously like it's supposed to. And so what he says is comfort is basically blunting us. Because of AC and hot showers, there's like all these things that God has actually wired into our bodies that we're not accessing. And so he's crazy enough to take cold showers every day and take ice baths. And he just does all these things to like expose himself to discomfort to see what he can untap that God has put in him. So it's fascinating. Uh, and I bring it up because, you know, this is kind of the opposite of the whole thing. Like, Lord, please... May, may I have comfortable circumstances. God, please may I have peaceful circumstances. God, may I please have peaceful circumstances. He's saying, Lord, I'm quite comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And there's one person that I also, um, as we think about this, would, would suggest to you, I would not suggest look this up, but Butters from South Park. <laughs> For whatever reason, man, like there's just this phrase from Butters that's in my head, and it's in my head forever, which will go to show you whatever you put in your head might stay there, so be careful what you put in your head. But Butters has this phrase from one episode from South Park from many years ago where he says, does it hurt? I don't want to do it if it hurts or if it makes you get all sticky. <laughs> does it hurt? I, I don't want to do it if it hurts. I, I believe that in this moment, Jesus, this is what he's addressing. This is what he's addressing when he says to them in verse 40, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? There's not condemnation in this question. Because again, like, like he didn't ask them in the midst of the storm. He calms the storm, gathers their complete attention, and then asks them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I, I believe with all my heart this is a moment of assessment. This is a moment of coaching and equipping. Uh, in studying this week, I, I found this really helpful resource. Check this out. So our response to danger, when we get into danger, again, fear, I mean, it is a God-given emotion in our brain. Right? That's, it, it's something that God gave us that is instinctively going to happen, essentially to protect us. Anxiety, that is like our body's biological response 
to the emotion. So for example, if you're sharing a park bench with a rattlesnake, I'm willing to bet you're going to experience some fear. You're instantly going to be like, whoa, and your whole body might freeze. That would be anxiety, your body's biological response to, man, we are in danger. But then there's worry. I don't know if we can control fear. I don't know if we can control anxiety. I think we can learn to navigate it better. That's kind of the core um, thought of today's message. But I do know that we can engage worry or we can leave worry behind. That's the thought process where we mull over the uncertainty in an escalating loop. We become paralyzed by the fear. We slow down so much that it stops us. Here's the deal. We're going to consistently experience fear throughout our life. We are. On every different level of like super dangerous stuff or those things where we're kind of like, just, man, I don't know if I want to take this risk. I want to take this step. All it takes for fear to surface is for us to be in a situation where we can't control the outcome. A situation where we find ourselves at the mercy of uncertainty. Again, whether it's legitimate danger or an opportunity that presents risk, the reality of it is we don't know what's going to happen. And that happens all the time. And when it happens, I'm curious, what is it that we trust in in the midst of our certainty? Again, when that happens, man, our body is going to like hit the fear button. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to alarm us to potential danger. And we might sense some biological reaction, but then what will we do with our precious mental energy? What will we do in those moments? Let me pose the question to you this way. What is it that we believe we cannot afford to lose? I want to live till I'm 80, right? I, I want to have good health. I want to have money. I want to have happiness. I want to have significance and security or a good reputation. What are those things that we begin to say, man, I cannot afford to lose that. It's valuable to me. It's important to me. When Jesus asked his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no fear? There's no shame in the question. He is not going to shame those who earnestly seek him. I don't think he's going to shame anybody, but he's certainly not going to shame those who earnestly seek him. This question is an invitation to see all things from his sovereign perspective as creator and provider and king. And then grow in our trust in him for that which we truly need. In this moment in the boat, when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I believe what he's saying is, like, I see the whole arc of your faith. So like, let's take Simon Peter, for example. Peter, I can see it. I can see the arc of your faith, the growth of the depth of maturity and trust that you have in me. And as I see that whole plot 
right now, I see you right here. So here's the whole thing. And I see that, that you're on this mark right here. And I don't want you to stay there. So I'm going to ask you the question, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Like, don't stay here. Let's spend some time figuring out what's happening so that we can continue on our trajectory of growth and faith. Can I just say, like, I, have no, I have no desire to grow in my ability to fear. I have every desire to grow in my ability to trust in the Lord. I don't want to get better at fear. I want to get better at faith. So I would encourage all of us to listen to our very own in-house prophet, Ryan Roden. <laughs> Ryan and I got the chance to hang out on Thursday night. We were talking about this. And um, Ryan said this wonderful phrase. He said, let's, let's leverage fear. Let's leverage this God-given emotion for what it is. Fear is a great assessment tool on our way to greater faith. Fear is a great assessment tool on our way to greater faith. So, I mean, let's not let uncertainty paralyze us in our pursuit of Jesus and the abundant life that he came to give. There is a wonderful and, I would say, necessary pause in fear. Like, it's helpful for us to pause. But there's also a wonderful and helpful persistence in faith. So what are those things that give us pause? Whether it's a cancer diagnosis or losing a job, um, having a dream in our heart, but then we think it's crazy. And so we're hesitant to step forward. Skydiving, cliff jumping, um, being rejected by a friend. There are things that, that, that scare us. When those things happen, man, let's pause, absolutely. But let's assess. And then let's press on in peace. Because the reality of it is, whatever's happening in that moment, it's a momentary thing. It's a blip on a journey of faith. So we know what our end destination is and we know who we're traveling with. John 4, 1 John 4, 18 is where it says, you know, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no fear in love. There's no fear in the core of God. There's no fear in who God is. And then I want to read also uh, a very familiar verse, um, but man, I hope it sits in our hearts in a very fresh way this morning. The familiar verse is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. But I want you to hear the verse right before that along with it. Paul, and this is just the very beginning of the letter to Timothy. He says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Kindle afresh the gift of God, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
So facing fear this week. Three steps. And I say this week. So quite often when we get in this part, and I'm going to encourage Aaron to come on up for the, for the end here. Um, here's our steps for facing fear this week. Uh, I say this week, but I think, again, this is something that's going to happen like, all the time in our heart, throughout our life. So as we continue to face fear, when it happens, let's ask why. What's going on? What am I afraid of? What is that that I feel like I can't afford to lose? And I think this is potentially number two is the most important one. What can I do about it or in the midst of it? So I was reading in a devotional recently and it encouraged, uh, it encouraged any reader of that devotion to step into this space of dream and vision, right? So if you're going to have a dream, you have, got, seek the Lord for a goal that he's placed in your heart and then go after it. And what he says in the midst of that goal going after is he says, begin to get a journal and two color pens, a black pen and a red pen. And as you begin to write down the details of that goal, if it's something that you can do, write that down in black. Each one, right? If there's something that you cannot do, write it down in red. And do those things which you can do, and then pray and trust for those things that God could only do. Those are the things you put in red. So I, I think that's quite transferable to a moment of fear. Like right now, and I'm using this illustration a lot, but in Jesus' name, we're going to sell our house soon, and we'll be on to a new illustration. But, like, our house hasn't sold yet. My wife has a job, and we're all supposed to be here in, like, 27 days. And it's not to, I could begin to fear. I could begin to get uneasy. I could begin to worry and play that escalating loop in my head. But the reality of it is, there are some things that I can do in black. I can go back to Lubbock. I can paint a couple more doors. I can pack up a couple more boxes. I can stage some things and make our sunroom look super cool. There's some things that I can do. And I'll write those down in black and I'll scratch them off. We're, we're actually, we're gonna drive back to Lubbock today so we can do just some of those things. But as far as like finding a buyer, getting the money that we need in the time frame that we need it, and that's on him. And right now, He's got it. Come on, Judy. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to get better at fear. I'm going to get better at faith. Come on, y'all. Let's get better at faith. When we, when we come up against it, let's ask, man, why? Why? What's going on? Because I don't want to stay here. I want to find the next step and be with him. Let's get better at faith. And finally, and let's, let's do it. Let's grow in our trust of God's real presence in our lives.